0: Hello and welcome to a mind frame where shift happens, where we talk to people who have experienced extreme circumstances and have overcome them and had a shift in perception that allows them to live happier lives. My name is Robert Solomon and I'm your host. I'm not a mental health professional. However, I have experienced quite a bit of mental health struggle and I have a lot of mental health issues in my family. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional help, but a place where people can come and listen to an inspiring triumph of the spirit stories. All our episodes are recorded via Zoom, so please excuse any audio issues. In today's episode, we're talking to Isabel, a twice-suicide-loss survivor turned mental health and suicide awareness advocate. Warning, this episode deals with suicide, which may be triggering to some of our audience members. I am so excited to welcome to our show this woman who's gone through so much tragedy and pain. And you are an example for people who have gone through incredible tragedy, that there is a possibility to get to the other side or to get through it or to make incremental changes to feel a little more hopeful and happy.
1: Thank you for saying all of that. That was so touching and Really beautiful.
0: Can you please start by introducing yourself to our audience?
1: So my name is Isabel. I'm from Montreal. I own a meditation and yoga center. I'm the organizer of Montreal's Mental Health and Suicide Awareness Walk. And I'm a mental health advocate.
0: When you say that you're an advocate, can you just describe what that means and what you do?
1: Suicide is still very taboo. People still don't want to acknowledge i know a lot of people who've suffered suicide losses and just prefer not to mention it you know a lot of people who don't even want to show up to the walks because they don't want to be associated with being someone who potentially lost someone to suicide so we need to be able to talk about it and and understand that it's not just an act of will and that it's attached to mental illness it's it's so much bigger than that so essentially what i do is getting people to talk about mental illness suicide loss Suicide awareness. I also facilitate suicide loss groups.
0: What does it mean to facilitate suicide awareness groups?
1: There are actually suicide loss groups. They cater to people who've lost someone they love to suicide. doesn't necessarily have to be a family member, but it usually is. There's a lot of parents in the group who've lost children to suicide, a lot of children who've lost parents, people who've lost their siblings. So it gives people a safe space to to just talk about what, what that feels like, what that looks like. It's not such an easy thing to do. Not everybody understands. And it really helps to connect at a deeper level with people who really understand.
0: That's wonderful. I can't imagine how kind of difficult, it must be, but also rewarding for you to be facilitating these meetings.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of a privilege to be able to witness and hold space for people in their darkest times. And I'm able to do it. It's a blessing to be able to give it back. That's how I see it.
0: In terms of training, do you have a background in mental health or social work? Or is it just something that you've kind of developed based on your experiences with suicide?
1: I've done spiritual counseling for many years. And I used to do crisis intervention workshops. Uh, I've always been in and around this field. So it was something I was able to, to uh, give back to when I went through it myself. I mean, that's what opened it up for me.
0: I think that's great. I love what you're doing. Um, I think it's so important and I think that your walk is destined to grow and flourish and, you know, be a big um, conversation piece, uh, mm-hmm. conversation starter and conversation changer, which is really fantastic. So I'm very um I'm very proud as a, as is a weird thing, but I'm very proud of you.
1: I actually like that you said, I'm proud of you. It's not condescending. It's so important that, you know, people are proud of us in the same way that I'd be proud of my son and I constantly let him know. It's such an important thing in his life. We need to hear that also. We're adults, children. After all, Mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing. You were talking about my life and all the trauma and the tragedy. And and there has been a lot. But when people have asked me what my life's been like, um, my automatic is I've lived a charmed life because I really feel like I have. I have a family. I have people who care about me. I have love and compassion towards people. I don't want for anything. I have been through a lot. I grew up with a mother who suffered from schizophrenia. I lost my father. I lost my husband to suicide. I lost my twin sister to suicide. I've lost a lot of people in my life, but it's not broken me. It's done the opposite. It's driven me. I'm
0: not trying to be an ass when I say this, but there could be people listening who might be like, okay, whatever. This person doesn't care about anything or boot on the mountain type of thing. But I've known and I know people who have gone through tragedy and aren't the same or will never be the same in their words. So I'd love to just dive into that a little bit and and see how you are able to be or have the outlook that you have.
1: Don't get me wrong. They knock me on my ass. So these are real traumas and I don't try to suppress my feelings and say, Oh, unicorns and butterflies. But I meet myself where I am and I understand that, you know, feelings are, are, are transient. They come, they go. Whatever it is that makes its way to me in the way of trauma, it's okay. I'll suffer. I'll be sad. I'll cry. I'll, you know, scream, I'll do whatever it is that I need to do. I'll move towards it because I know I need to. I, I understand that the only way out is through. I also understand that it's, it's, it's a part of my story. It isn't who I am, if that makes any sense.
0: It totally makes sense. And it's obviously a beautiful perspective and it, it allows for peace and it allows for healing and it allows for hope. There are a lot of people that have a really, really hard time in accepting that perspective. And for you, how did that happen? Like, what happened in the in the granular moments that allowed you to have that perspective, to not intellectually understand it, but to actually believe it?
1: That's a really interesting question. Through my trauma, I think that, you know, everything kind of... Uh, was there for me or happens for me versus happening to me that to me is like the biggest shift you know because a lot of people talk to me about the stuff they're going through and that's the key thing that I hear from the majority of people is this happened to me and it's such a powerful statement and really affects how we move through stuff it's
0: changing the perspective from a victim to mm-hmm. a participant mm-hmm right?
1: Yeah. And even beyond that, just receiving things in a way that you understand that not only are these things, these traumas, these experiences, they're actually helping you to to be the best version of yourself. I know that sounds kind of cliche and But no, I mean, for me, that's that's what these things do. I
0: mean, I can't even imagine it, but you've lost a husband to suicide and your twin sister to suicide. Can you just give me a little bit of timing of that in terms of when it happened and then how you felt going through it and how you got through it and how that led you to being so involved with the community?
1: My husband I lost many years ago, and it was it was a really tough loss but nowhere near what I felt with my twin sister. It's, it's gonna be four years, actually, July 4th. Mm-hmm. So my twin sister and I were the best of friends and we were each other's family, really, because we'd lost our family so young, because we'd lost our parents. We went through everything together. And she was that variable in my life that kept me together, you know? She, I always had her support. My sister was a therapist. She helped a lot of people through their depressions, ironically. She suffered from major depression. When I lost her, it was devastating. I knew it was coming, potentially, because we were very honest with each other. She was absolutely transparent with me. She came to me a year before she took her life. She was living two hours away in in Ottawa. And she sat me down and said, this is what I'm planning to do. I, ca- I just can't do this anymore. I'm planning to take my life.
0: Oh, my God. I can't imagine hearing that from I, anyone, right? But from your sister.
1: And I, I appreciated hearing that because essentially what she was doing, it was giving me the opportunity to try to help to navigate this, to, to not feel blindsided. And she told me that she said, I, I don't want to leave you, and I don't want it to come as a shock to you, but this is where I'm at, and this is how I feel. And she said, "It's you know, the reason that I've held on for as long as I have is because of you. And at that point, I just said, no, I mean, we're going to do whatever we can to try to figure this out. And I I said, let's get in the car. We're going to go back to Ottawa and admit you. So she was in the hospital for you know, not too long. And she came out, we tried to manage it. She came to Montreal and she stayed with me for a good six to eight months. And on, on one of those breaks where she was in Ottawa, she decided that, you know, it, it was time for her to go. And she took a lot of pills like antidepressants and anti-anxiety and a whole bunch of stuff. And she wrote me an email knowing that I wouldn't get it in time because she stayed up late. I got up early. I did see it in the morning and managed to get to her on time. She was still just hanging on. They rushed her to the hospital and and managed to save her. And the doctor kind of said, it's it's a miracle that she's alive, given everything she took. And she said to me, you know, I'm going to take this as a sign that I need to be here. You know, that really I should have been gone. And so they let her out. And two weeks later, she did the same thing, only she didn't send me a message. Mm. Because she didn't want to have me intervene at that point. She was determined, and I know that she held on for for as long as she could for my sake. And I I don't think she wanted to die. I I don't think people do want to die. I think they just want to end their suffering. It's too much. They feel like there's no hope i know she felt like there was no hope that she just didn't want to feel the way she felt anymore
0: that is so heartbreaking and you know I, i i it sounds like you have come to a certain degree of peace with it although i'm sure it's it's always something that that will have an effect on your life positive as what you've done with your groups and with your advocacy and with your walk. That's beautiful how you're able to transform that that pain that you felt into helping people heal, um, which I'm sure along the way you heal as well, the more mm-hmm. people that you that you come into contact with. But it must have felt so hopeless for you to be with your sister and not be able to kind of change her mind or help her to see things differently. Can you speak a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I I think that's a really common thing. You know, that sense of guilt, of blame, of what ifs, What if I'd done this? What if I'd turned left? What if i turned right? What if I'd just answered the phone? And I do feel that way. Not that I do feel that way now. I understand intellectually that there was nothing really I could have done to prevent that, that I did everything that I could. But yeah, that sense of guilt, for sure. I sometimes go over it and think to myself, you know, maybe I should have just stayed with her 24-7, but I mean, I, I know that I really did put my all into it. So you believe so that
0: you did kind of what you could. And obviously there's a feeling like, oh, I could have done more as you said, but you are, you are at peace with what you were able to provide for your sister and the time prior to her taking her life.
1: I am. I know I, I really did give it my all. She gave me a heads up and we, we did our be- the best to, to navigate it with the tools that we had, you know, mm-hmm. um, what brings me comfort and what really brought me comfort after I lost her. Now, I'm going to revise, not after I lost her because I don't believe I lost her. I, I you know, believe she's still with me just in a different way. But what really helped to bring me like some comfort was one, the fact that, you know, I, I knew she wasn't suffering anymore. So it was really hard to see her going through that, to see her suffer at that deeper level. So it it brought me comfort. I mean, it does even today to know that, you know, potentially she's in a better place, meaning she's not suffering the way she did. The other thing that brings me comfort was this deep belief in that this isn't all there is. We're spiritual beings, you know, that this isn't where it ends. I still feel her with me. Like, I absolutely... Believe that there's more to us and life goes on just in a different way. When you lack that kind of blind faith, I think it's a tougher road.
0: Yeah. And I think it's almost like a choice. It's like a way to view the world that is either going to be comforting for you or cause you more pain and that's kind of a perspective on anything right like whatever happens to you in life you can either look at it as something that you can learn from and grow from and it was kind of meant to be or you can look at it like this is the worst thing that ever happened to me and Mm -hmm. they both can be true but what's better for you to move on from trauma or tragedy
1: yeah so like you were saying they both can be true and I mean, they both are true. It is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I also do feel like it's cultivated a deeper compassion in me towards people. I mean, it was already there, but a deeper understanding towards people who are suffering this type of loss. So yeah, I mean, everything, I think everything in life that you go through, whatever tragedy and trauma and stressors, they're all opportunities, you know, to dig deeper to cultivate a deeper sense of compassion. And that's really what it's all about for me, if that makes any sense.
0: It totally makes sense. And it's obviously a beautiful perspective. And it, it allows for peace and it allows for healing and it allows for hope. There are a lot of people that have a really, really hard time in accepting that perspective. And for you, how did that happen? Like what happened in the in the granular moments that that allowed you to have that perspective, to not intellectually understand it, but to actually believe it?
1: That's a really interesting question. I mean, I just I had been through so much that I understood that this is what life was. You went through stuff. So maybe that's what it is actually, you know? I love talking because it reveals stuff, you know? So maybe that's what it is. That I'd never understood life or lived a life where trauma wasn't kind of a part of my experience. Never. Since I can remember, I'd never lived a life without that.
0: There are countless stories of people who go through early trauma, early exceptional despair,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and do not come out the way that you are right now. So we're given I guess when we're born, our minds are created a certain way, Mm -hmm. but it's just so interesting to me. So you could have someone who's like, you know, even listening to this podcast saying, I have no choice to be anything other than this because Mm -hmm. of the way I grew up because of the shit that I dealt with. How do you explain your perspective?
1: How did I, it's a really interesting thing because my sister and I were identical twins and, and we both kind of moved through our stuff differently. My sister was a therapist, so uh, she dealt with a a lot of stuff at a cognitive level, you know, and for me it was more at a spiritual level. So that could have played a role for sure. And that this is actually a really big deal because I, I hear this from a lot of people going through stuff and it makes such a difference. But that feeling of being unconditionally loved, it's huge. So I think that really affects the way people move through stuff that just that. And it's also a very subtle thing, you know, because we're conditioned to to believe that we're valued or worthy if we succeed on all these external levels. Without that, and that starts so young, and it's so subtle, like, you're a good boy, you're a good girl, if you dress a certain way, if you're, you know, your manners are good, and if not, then you're just not a not a good boy or not a good girl, and I think that our parents do the best they can, you know, with the tools they have, but often that message is, you know, I love you if this, and I love you if that. The disappointment that's attached to maybe not performing in the way that you're expected to, I mean, that's, it, it's damaging, you know, so a lot of people that I see spend their lives kind of seeking approval. I didn't have parents and this is going to sound very strange, but it was almost for me kind of a benefit, you know, in, in, in that I don't have all this conditioning to undo in that sense. I didn't have my parents saying to me, you should this and you shouldn't that and this is, you know, I I figured it out along the way. And I know that's a strange thing to say, but
0: it's that subtlety, though, that I want to really explore because, yes, maybe it is strange to say because a lot of people don't think of it that way. But Mm -hmm. I think it's all the way that we frame it, like our mind frame, like, Mm -hmm. how do people survive Prison camps. What makes them do that? And we just talked about it. Like, what is it that's in there? And there's—it's a combination of so many things. But if your perception is not such that you can get through it, or you have hope, the chances of getting over it or getting through it are just minuscule, in my opinion.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's like Viktor Frankl said. You know, in Man's Search for Meaning. You know, he talks about his experience in concentration camps, and he attributes people getting through stuff to their sense of purpose. I don't know if I necessarily have a specific sense of purpose, but I do feel like my life is purposeful. And like, I do make a difference in people's lives. And that for me is a really big deal. I mean, if I led a really kind of dry, empty life where I didn't really connect to people at a deeper level, I don't know, I don't know that I'd feel as full as I do.
0: Well, I would say that's that's kind of your purpose is to connect with people then, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but from what I just heard, it's like your purpose is to connect with people and to possibly help them if you can.
1: I love people. I love I love stuff too. <laughs> I love my clothes. I love my, you know, all the bullshit stuff. I don't denounce it. I love it. But I <laughs>
0: What I love right now is how raw and open it is. It's like, we're talking about these deep things about life and the meaning of life. And it's like, but I love my shit too. Those aren't mutually exclusive. And I think people make the mistake of that. Like we are who we are. We're perfectly flawed.
1: Exactly. I don't strive to change that about myself, you know, like I love who I am and not everything has to be heavy and we don't have to find meaning in everything. And so I see that a lot. Also, I see people going through stuff and they just like, they get stuck in that heaviness. Everything, you know, has to be just constantly, especially in relationships, but you see that a lot in relationships and, you know, we don't have to constantly get into the deep stuff. Sometimes you just need to be light and stupid. You know, it's it's actually super therapeutic it's it's a big part of it you know so so but it's making it because i was that person also so i think it's making your way to that place where i'm lucky is that i've had so many experiences in my life you name it i've experienced it (laughs) i've lived i could be 350 years old like i've lived so many
0: lives i wish Right now, I saw the video of you replaying all the shit in your head.
1: You would not want to see that. Let me tell you. You <laughs> would be like, interview over. But no. <laughs>
0: Isn't that awesome, though, that, like, you (laughs) can sit here and laugh at it and not judge yourself?
1: For sure, because it's part of who I am. It's part of, like, the stuff I had to go through to get where I am today. And today is part of what I have to go through to get to where I'm going to be in 10 years and so on and so forth. So I love everything, all the mistakes, all the like I embrace it all, you know. Yeah, it's just part of, like, who I am. It's my history. I wish I
0: had that, you know. And when I say I wish I had that, I'm not resolved to not having it and being Mm -hmm. with my wife now. She's been so helpful of just loving me for me and not based on performance. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: so I still, when I don't do well or I make a mistake, that shame comes flooding in. And -hmm. I can hardly look at my wife at first because I don't believe she'll love me. I don't believe that I'm worthy. And it just is crippling. And what I've noticed is that she hasn't left and she loves me. And gradually the period of shame is decreasing. So the time period that I feel the shame is decreasing and I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for her.
1: First of all, what you shared is so beautiful and you so deserve that you're such an amazing, pure, raw soul. So thank you for sharing that. That was really beautiful. And that's that's what it is, unconditional love. I mean, if that internal dialogue, you know, it's so extreme. I saw this video once, it talked about your internal dialogue, like the the way you talk to yourself. When you make a mistake, you know, I'm shit, how could you do that? You're such an idiot. And then, you know, it, it asked that you turn around and you take that dialogue and you direct it towards, let's say your kid. And that's inconceivable to me. Like I have an 11-year-old, and I I think about the way I sometimes talk to myself, or I I have, and I still do. I'm human. It's part of the process. And I imagine myself saying these words to Jacob, and I'm horrified because I understand what that would do to him, his, his little soul, his beautiful little, you know. And I think to myself, well, what does that do to the brain? What does that do to, you know, how you connect with other people. So if it's a consistent thing in your life towards yourself, I mean, just imagine what that does.
0: There's a moment that I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. That's a turning point moment. Mm -hmm. That's a shift in your brain. And Mm -hmm. you may have heard that message, whatever, 20 times. It's not a, Mm -hmm. it's not the most complicated thought, right? Yeah. But in that moment that you were watching that video, where you were at in life, it Mm -hmm. spoke to you and it resonated Mm -hmm. and a shift happens that yes, there's backsliding, but you can't take that away. That happened.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And it's beautiful.
1: Yeah.
0: It's interesting because when I talk to people about turning points. In terms moments, a lot of people say, yeah, I don't know if I really have any of those, but you know, I definitely have gone through a lot and I think it's like a gradual thing and, and it really is obviously, but inevitably in our conversations, these little things start coming out. It's amazing to me. And there's like, almost a like, Whoa, that was a moment. And I think in general, we don't really value those moments so much. We like mm-hmm. think about it and we're like, Oh, that's cool. But those moments need to be celebrated and explored and talked about because they have such the potential to help other people, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, they can definitely impact people. And and it's nice to explore, I think, the things that do touch you. So this open conversation is such an important part of that process. I think what you're doing is amazing.
0: Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not, it's what you're doing. You know, it's what we're all doing. It's what like we're, right. <laughs> we're having the conversation. And you're okay. open to the conversation. And I think it's so, yes, I agree. It's very important. I don't take ownership of it. It's like an organic thing that is just growing and changing. And I'm taking on beautiful partners. And I'm talking to you and, and us possibly partnering. And it's, it's I'm not doing anything. I'm just here doing what I always do, which is loving to talk to people and hearing about their lives and being interested in them.
1: I think what makes it so beautiful is that it's heart-based it's so authentic and that's really a big deal, you know, that shines through with you. So it, it's it's not even a question of where it's going to go or if it's going to have an impact or, you know, whether it's going to be successful. It is successful. It's already successful. Just in and of the fact that you have touched people already and have, I'm sure, made a difference in people's lives have impacted people's lives, you know, directly and directly in what you're doing is, is huge. If you, you know, I'm a big believer that if you make a difference in one person's life throughout your lifetime, if you've, you know, helped them, and I know you have, you know, not just in in what you're doing here, but in general, if you save that one person or help them to feel more valued Or to stick around, like, that's huge. Just that in and of itself is worth all of it. Just one person. And I'm sure you've impacted many. I don't think there is any greater achievement than that of connecting with people and helping people to feel that they're not quite so alone. There is no greater achievement than that, you know, that external stuff, the external accomplishments and stuff. They don't really, for me personally, they, they don't really do anything for me. It's fluff, you know, it's nice and it's great that people work hard, but this stuff, this is the real stuff. This is the real meat of life and it takes so much courage.
0: I appreciate what you're saying and to hear like you framing it as what's important in life is...
1: i mean. This is what life is all about. Our, you know, purpose in life is to help, to serve, to, to connect, to to create community, to, there is no greater purpose than that. I mean, this is it. You're it. Like this, you're doing what we're meant to be here doing. You know, you're culminating all these experiences and you're taking them and you're creating something that Changes people's lives, saves people's lives. Like, what can you possibly do that's greater than that? You know, as far as I'm concerned, that you're it. So, thank
0: you. All right. I think, I mean, I loved our conversation. I think it was fantastic. And we've gone on for so long and we could probably sit here talking for another eight hours, but uh, life happens. So um, I'm going to bring this to a wrap, but I, I just, I'd like to ask two questions kind of on the, um, on the way out. What is it that you think you are most grateful for in life? And then what type of parting words would you like to give someone who's in the depths of despair?
1: What I'm grateful for is an easy one. Uh, I'm most grateful in my life for my ability to connect at a deeper level with people, my ability to love huge. So I'm most grateful for that. There's nothing without that. Like you could drop me in the middle of a jungle and I would just connect with everybody. <laughs> um, most grateful for that. And. Depths of despair. I mean, the only thing that I could say to somebody who's feeling that desperate and that sad is that they're cared for, they're loved, their life means something. It means so much that things, these are moments, be it a minute, hours, days, weeks what your life looks like today isn't necessarily what it's going to look like in in six months um you know that they're not alone actually that would be the main thing that they're not alone
0: and those words coming from you someone who has experienced that trauma and that pain um so impactful so special and i appreciate your vulnerability and your um compassion that basically oozes through the screen so people who are able to meet you and talk to you are, are very lucky in my opinion.
1: Thank you, Bobby. I appreciate that. Same goes for you.
0: <laughs> thank You're you. Doing
1: Great work. Yeah.
0: Thank you. We'll have a wonderful rest of your day and um, I wish you so much peace and happiness. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm pretty blessed. I'm happy. Good. All right. Take care.
1: Me
0: too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and are inspired by our guest. If you want to find out more about us, our guests, and some potentially helpful information, please visit our website at www.mindframeshift.com and check us out on. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Mind Frame Shift, all one word. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call the Crisis Support National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1 800 273 850 or text NAMI at 741-741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor to receive free 24-7 crisis support via text message or call the NAMI Healthline at 1-800-950-NAMI that's 6264 for free mental health information, referrals and support. Thank you very much again for listening and remember shift happens.